you would please turn to the Bible to Job chapter four. Job chapter four. We spent the last several weeks going slowly through the first three chapters of Job. We've learned a lot, we have the context now. Job, this good and righteous man, has now, or is now, suffering like crazy. Yet God is in it. We know that God is proving himself to Satan. If you don't know the backstory on that, I wanna encourage you to go back and watch or listen and go back and read the first two chapters. But now we come to the big bulk and meat of the story of Job, where from chapter four all the way to chapter 37, Job's friends are trying to help him understand his situation. I don't know if you've ever been given any bad advice before, but it stings, doesn't it? Add insult to injury, right? Things aren't going well and somebody gives you bad advice. Or perhaps you've heard the phrase before that says, with friends like this, who needs enemies? <laughs> I like that phrase. Job is miserable. His 10 children have died. He has lost everything. And now he is sick as sick can be, suffering. And he sits outside the city in the burning trash heap scraping his sores miserable. And his friends finally start speaking. Now I wanna remind you that at chapter three, Job spoke. That's what the sermon was last week. Job was the first one to speak up. So they waited for him. But they, in trying to help him, aren't necessarily helping. And this is where I talk about bad advice. We gotta be careful with what we say to people. I remember when I was trying to graduate high school and you know, 18 years old and trying to figure out all that you're gonna do in life, that's a hectic time, as many of you all know. Are you gonna get a job or are you gonna go to school? If you are gonna get a job, then what are you gonna do? And if you are gonna go to school, then where are you gonna go? And once you decide where you're gonna go, what are you gonna major in? What are you gonna do for the rest of your life? And the pressure that comes on 17, 18, 19 year olds to figure all those things out is sometimes overwhelming and discouraging. But what's even harder is everybody telling you what they think you should do, right? And that can be very strong at times. Everybody's got their opinion and if you'll listen, they'll tell you. And sometimes one person that you love tells you to do this, and one person tells you you love to do this, and now you're torn between all of this. This is kind of what happens with Job's friends, except for Job is suffering so much that they think something is wrong that needs to be fixed. If you know chapters one and two, you know that nothing is wrong here. And that's what last week was about on suffering and I was overwhelmed at how many of you all reached out to me with emails and phone calls to say, thank you, thank you, thank you for preaching a sermon that says, yes, we suffer. Many of you all told me that. Because Job is suffering and nothing is wrong. This is a challenging book for us. Job's friends don't get it. 
Now, before we get caught up in all these chapters and all these speeches, and we start to think, man, these aren't the best of friends for Job. I want to remind you, they are good friends. They're just like me or you. At times, we want to help somebody so badly that we'll say anything if we hope that it helps, right? You need to shut up. You need to speak more. You need to get up and do something. You need to sit down and rest. We'll try to say everything if we'll get them to better their lives, and that's where his friends are. Let me remind you that they came from far. They wanted to comfort him and show sympathy to him. They sat with him for seven days and seven nights on the ground. They did not say anything. These are good friends. They are good friends. But once they start talking, it's not as good. I want us to think about things like, if someone is hurting, does what we tell them cause them to hurt more? If someone is confused, does, someone, does what we tell them add to their confusion? If someone is so low and beat down because of life, do we just cause them to feel even lower? If someone is suffering and miserable, we don't want to add to their misery. This is all that's going on in this story of Job now that his friends come into the picture. So here's what happens. At chapter four, Job has three friends. Their name are Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar. And here's what happens, and there are three cycles, okay? I know that this is gonna be a little bit uh, boring to you, but still, listen up. The friend speaks, then Job replies. The next friend speaks, then Job replies. The third friend speaks, and then Job replies. That's one cycle. And then it happens again, second cycle. And then that happens again, third cycle. And it is long, right? And these people are not short on words. They talk a lot. They use this big flowery language. They just go and go and go and go. And, 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 and I thought about us reading all of this, but then I concluded we cannot read all of this. But I do not want us to be people who are just trying to know the Bible without reading it. So I would encourage you, seriously encourage you, sometime in the next few days to go and read all of these chapters. Hear the fullness of what they said. Today, I'm going to highlight it. All right, today we're gonna look at the first cycle, chapter four through 14. Just the first cycle, four through 14. You see there, at chapter four, verse one, the first friend comes up, Eliphaz the Temanite, and here's what he says to Job. I'll start reading in verse two. If one ventures a word with you, will you be impatient? Yet who can keep from speaking? Behold, you have instructed many, and you have strengthened the weak hands. Your words have upheld him who was stumbling, and you have made firm the feeble knees, but now it has come to you and you are impatient. It touches you and you are dismayed. Is not your fear of God, your confidence and the integrity of your ways, your hope? Remember, who that was innocent ever perished or where were the upright cut off? As I have seen those who plow iniquity and sow trouble reap the same. Is that good advice? Is he helping Job right now? Eliphaz the Temanite seems to be saying that the innocent prosper. Now he doesn't say, he doesn't come all out and say that the innocent prosper and the wicked get punished. He doesn't say that, but that's what he's implying. So you see where he's coming from. 
if you were as good as you thought you were, Job, or you were as good as we thought you were, Job, this would not be happening. Look at verse 17 of chapter four. Can mortal man be in the right before God? Can a man be pure before his maker? See, he is concluding that something is wrong with Job and therefore this is a consequence. Jump with me over to chapter five, verse eight. His, his speech goes through all four and five. Look at chapter five, verse eight. As for me, I would seek God. And to God, I would commit my cause who does great things and unsearchable, marvelous things without number. Here's what I would do, Job. I would seek the Lord in this situation, right? And that's good advice. But as you and I know, Job is, and Job has been, and he never stopped doing that. He loves God, believes God, he honors God with his life. And so what you can see through all of chapters four and five is this friend Eliphaz is trying to help Job, and he's throwing out there some things, and he thinks that it must be that there is something wrong with Job, although he can't identify it. Look at chapter five, verse 17. Blessed is the, behold, blessed is the one whom God reproves. Therefore despise not the discipline of the Almighty. For he wounds, but he binds up. He shatters, but his hands heal. Now Eliphaz is saying that this is God's discipline upon you. And what's hard about studying Job, and I'm glad we're walking through it, he says the innocent prosper. He says this is God's discipline in your life. And here's what's challenging about this. Those things are true. That's not bad advice altogether. Those things are true in life sometimes. The innocent do prosper, sometimes. The wicked do suffer, sometimes. God does discipline his people, that's always true. Proverbs chapter three says, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof, for God loves those he disciplines and disciplines those he loves, like a father does in his son that he delights in. So these things are true. But the problem with Eliphaz's advice to his friend Job here is that that's not always the case that the innocent prosper. It's not as simple Job's case, is it? Job's case is truly a remarkable story. And all that we know about the first two chapters with Satan coming to check into, the, uh, Satan coming to, check into God and God suggesting Job to him and all that Job is experiencing right now is all good and of God and Job is safe with God. But they cannot imagine that. They don't know that. And so the first friend's advice is Discipline, God's discipline, the innocent prosper, something must be wrong with you, Job. Well, then we get to chapter six, and Job replies. And you can see that Job's reply is very long as well. It's all of chapters six and seven. Let's see how Job responds. Job chapter six, verse two. Oh, that my vexation were weighed and all my calamity laid in the balances for then it would be heavier than the sand of the sea. Therefore, my words have been rash. For the arrows of the Almighty are in me. My spirit drinks their poison. The terrors of God are arrayed against me. Jump over to verse eight of chapter six. Oh, that I might have my request and that God would fulfill my hope, that it would please God to crush me 
that he would let loose his hand and cut me off. This would be my comfort. Eliphaz's advice to Job has not helped him one bit. He is saying things that are not the case. Job knows that this is not the discipline from God because he has strayed. Job knows that he has not fallen into he has not fallen into sin and therefore he's not the innocent and therefore he's under the judgment of God. That's not the case. And so the first friend's advice has not helped him and now Job just sinks down in his misery, low and struggling. Look at verse 24 of chapter six. Teach me and I will be silent. Make me understand how I have gone astray. If you think I've gone astray, then prove it to me, show me. Now, I wanna remind you that Job is not necessarily arrogant and haughty in his, in his thinking that he's so good. He's just wrestling with why this has happened. And there is a difference there. Look at chapter seven, verse 13. Job still speaking. When I say my bed will comfort me, my couch will ease my complaint, then you scare me with dreams and terrify me with visions so that I would choose strangling and death rather than my bones. I loathe my life. I would not live forever. Leave me alone for my days are a breath. Last week's passage from chapter three was all about depression. And we see here, even now, his friends, his good friends, are speaking to him. They are not helping him. Job is still very, very low. We get to the end of chapter seven, and Job is finished with his response to Eliphaz. Chapter eight moves us into the second friend coming, and this is Bildad. His is much shorter. It is just uh, chapter eight. Much fewer words, but more to the point. Bildad simply says, Job, you need to repent and turn back to God. You need to turn to the Lord for forgiveness. Look at verse two, chapter eight, verse two. How long will you say these things and the words of your mouth be a great wind? Does God pervert justice or does the Almighty pervert the right? If your children have sinned against him, he has delivered them into the hand of their transgression. Now let's stop there for just a second. That's a low blow, is it not? That's a low blow. These guys are so focused on good things happen to good people that make good decisions, bad things happen to bad people that make bad decisions. If you're here today and you've got that dumb old school mentality, you need to repent of that. Joe was a better man than me and a better man of you. Job's the best man ever, the Bible says, at the time. And God had brought all of this suffering on him for, God good, for God's good pleasure. This friend just said, God judged your kids and killed them because they didn't repent of their sins. That is not true, that is a low blow. How many times have we tried to give advice to somebody and we tried to tough love them into, you're wrong, you need to change, you need to repent, and that was not the case. So we just beat them down. Verse five of chapter eight. 
If you will seek God and plead with the Almighty for mercy, if you are pure and upright, surely then he will rouse himself for you and restore your rightful habitation. He's telling Job to repent. Something is wrong here and you need to repent. Jump over to verse 20. Behold, God will not reject a blameless man, nor take the hand of evildoers. He will yet fill your mouth with laughter and your lips with shouting. Those who hate you will be clothed with shame and the tent of the wicked will be no more. Bildad seems to have some good theology in the sense of gospel hope that if anybody turns back to God, they will be received by God. If anybody turns to God in repentance and says, you will be forgiven of your sins, God welcomes back people, he, he loves you, that, that is true. The problem is, Job is not in this position because of his sin, and that's what they don't understand. They are so focused on the reason why you're suffering is because something wrong with you, Job, that they're now moving into how to fix that, and that they haven't diagnosed the problem. They're trying to put a Band-Aid on something that doesn't need a Band-Aid. Now, it is true that if anybody would repent and turn back to God, they will be received. And if you're here today suffering or not, you need Jesus. You need God, and God wants you. And God sent Jesus to die on the cross for our sins so that God would take our punishment for us and God would experience judgment for us and God would die death for us. And anybody, any of you all, like Noah just modeled for us by faith and moving toward baptism, any of you all that would run to God and say, God, take me, receive me, have me, forgive me of my sins, he will. If you're in sin, that is the best thing that you could hear. If you're feeling guilty for your sins, that's the best thing that you could hear. If you feel convicted for your sins, that's the best thing that you can hear. God receives people back. And Job knows this. Remember chapter one told us that Job was so focused on this that Job would go every day and offer sacrifices even for his family in case they had sinned. Think about that. Job knows this. So what his friend Bildad is saying is true, but it is not exactly the case here with Job. Yes, we should all live in repentance, but we should all continually turn to God. But Job is not in this position because he has sinned. So let's see Job's response. Look at chapter nine. Verse two, truly I know that it is so, but how can a man be in the right before God? If one wished to contend with him, one could not answer him once in a thousand times. He is wise in heart and mighty in strength, who has hardened himself against him and succeeded. And he goes on to describing God and describing God. Jump down to verse 13. God will not turn back his anger beneath him who bowed the helpers of Rahab. How then can I answer him, choosing my words with him? Though I am in the right, I cannot answer him. I must appeal for mercy to my accuser. If I summoned him and he answered me, I would not believe that he was listening to my voice. For he crushes me with a tempest and multiplies my wounds without cause. He will not let me get my breath, but fills me with bitterness. If it is a contest of strength, behold, he is mighty. If it is a matter of justice, who can summon him? Though I am in the right, my, mo my own mouth would condemn me. Though I am blameless, he would prove me perverse. Verse 21, I am blameless. I regard not myself. I loathe my life. Job is wrestling with what's going on and his friend's advice is causing him to hurt more and be more confused. Their words are not helping. 
They don't understand the situation. And they're throwing out some general truths about God, but they're missing the mark for Job, and it's not helping. Several years ago, and this is an odd story, but I wanna share it with you. Several years ago, when I was young and in college, I got to go on multiple mission trips several years in a, years in a row. And I always wanted to bring back a cool souvenir to my, to my parents. And I remember I went to Jamaica one time and brought back this cool souvenir. And then next year, I got to go to Africa. Next year, I got to go to Ethiopia, Africa. And I was always bringing back these cool souvenirs, some little wood carvings and things like that. And sometime after that, while I was still in college, my mom had gotten very sick. She was in the hospital and that was 20 some years ago and so she's over, she's not sick anymore and we're thankful for that. But there was a time there where it was really bad. There was a season while I was in college where we actually thought that my mom might pass away. We were so worried about it. I was away at school and my dad had a friend at work who was in a different denomination than us, quite a bit different. He told him that there must be something wrong with your house. There must be some spiritual warfare, some curse on your house, and you gotta figure out what it is. The reason why your wife is so sick and the reason why your wife is about to die is because there's something wrong with your house. There's spiritual warfare going on. There's something evil and wicked in your house. You've gotta figure out what it is, and you've gotta remove it. And he comes up with the idea, well, hadn't your boy been traveling to some other parts of the world that aren't very godly? He must have brought something back from there. And the man got my dad to believing that the souvenir I brought back is what was making my mom sick. And so they went and got rid of them. Isn't that terrible? Isn't that some bad advice? That's a true story. Now he was trying to be helpful, right? That's the thing with friends and us wanting to help people. We, we try so hard to help people, but sometimes we're not helping. Sometimes we're not helping, and this is important for us to understand in Job. And I think there's something special, significant, about Job being so long. This book is almost longer than every book in the Bible. There's only a few that are longer than Job. To show us how much friends think they're helping and they are not helping. And I think the reason for that is that we are so far away from depth in relationships and we are so far away from using scripture to give advice. Job is miserable, loathes his life. Look at chapter 10, verse one. I loathe my life. I will give free utterance to my complaint. I will speak in the bitterness of my soul. I will say to God, do not condemn me. Let me know why you contend against me. Job does not understand what's going on. And then we get to chapter 11, and here's the third and final friend, and he's the harshest yet. Zophar. Verse two, should a multitude of words go unanswered and a man full of talk be judged right? Should your babble silence men and when you mock, shall no one shame you? For you say my doctrine is pure and I am clean in God's eyes. Let's stop there for just a second. Job hasn't exactly said that, but that's kind of the gist of it, right? Chapter 10, verse seven, Job did say in chapter 10, verse seven, although you know that I am not guilty, all right? 
Now they've changed that into 11.4, my doctrine is pure and I am clean in God's eyes, all right? Job didn't exactly say that, but that's not too far from wrong. Verse five, still listening to Zophar. But oh, that God would speak and open his lips to you and that he would tell you the secrets of wisdom. For he is manifold in understanding. Know then that God exacts of you less than your guilt deserves. Can you find out the deep things of God? Can you find out the limit of the Almighty? It is higher than heaven. What can you do? Deeper than Sheol, what can you know? And he goes on and on with just how big God is. This is a pretty awesome speech from Zophar. He believes that God is big and God's purposes are bigger than we can often understand and that God still has a plan. And he is right in many ways, but he again misses the mark with his friend Joe because he is talking to him because he wants to fix him. And what you and I know, and this is why God's word is so brilliantly written, because we understand chapters one and two, we are not freaking out for Job in this situation. We feel for Job, but we know that God is a sovereign God. God is in charge of everything and he is good. We may not understand why he does things the way he does things, but we are for sure certain that he's the one doing it. Chapters one and two show us this and we are to believe. Zophar is wrong in the sense that he still wants to fix Job and his situation. And for the whole rest of the speech cycles, remember there are two more just like this one. This becomes the very issue. Job's friends want to help Job so badly, they want to fix this tragic situation of suffering. But they do not understand that it is and that it can be God's plan. When you desire to be helpful and give advice and be a friend or a family member or a witness to Christ, you must have enough understanding of God to consider, could he just be doing this? Could this be God's way for God's glory? Do you remember in John chapter nine, the man born blind? And them saying, Jesus, why is this, why did this happen? Poor fella, why is he blind, Jesus? Whose fault is it, is it his fault? His parents' fault? Whose fault is it? And do you remember Jesus' answer? Nobody's fault. What do you mean? This is for God's glory. Job's friends cannot fathom that this horrible situation that Job is in is from God. Now, I want to be careful here this does not mean that we run out of here today and every time we make the dumbest decision of our life, we just say, well, that's the sovereignty of God and I just gotta trust him through it. No, there are lots of situations in our life where we've been wrong and foolish and you should not be in that position. And you are to learn from it and you are to trust God from it. There are lots of situations in our life where we are suffering and it is our fault that we are suffering because of something that we've done. And we are to still believe in the sovereignty of God in it, that God is with us while we are going through that. There's a difference there. Y'all know that. But here, this is not because of what Job did. This is not because of what Job did. And there's the difference. Then Job replies, 
three chapters worth of replies. Chapter 12, chapter 13, chapter 14. And Job is talking and talking and talking. And he's suffering and suffering and suffering. And he's wrestling with what they say. And I wanna ask you to look with me at chapter 13, verse 13. Job says, let me have silence and I will speak. And let come on me what may. Why should I take my flesh in my teeth and put my life in my hand? Though he slay me, I will hope in him. Yet I will argue my ways to his face. This will be my salvation that the godless shall not come before him. These are some of the best verses in the whole book of Job, and these may be some of the best verses in the entire Bible. Job is so trusting in God that he confesses here, if it gets even worse, I'm not letting go. Those that don't have God, don't get God. Those that reject God don't get God. There is no comfort from God for those who don't trust God. There is no answer from God to those who don't believe God. And so Job, in the depth of his suffering, says, I will hope in him. Now, he does admit there, if I ever get a chance to talk this over with him, I'm gonna argue my case. I gotta figure out what's going on here. I need some answers. But even if I don't get them, though he slay me, I will hope in him. What faith? If it be God's will for me to lose it all and die, I will not let go of God. Job models here faith. And I'm thankful that this is the very, very answer and core doctrine and foundation of Christianity, of Bible-believing church people. That God is the answer and foundation to life. He is our maker. He is our Father in heaven. And whether he is blessing us with prosperity or whether he is blessing us with, uh, blessing us with suffering, we will hope in him. Heaven is not that far away. Eternal life is a real thing. And being safe in the grip of God who died on the cross for our sins is better than anything. And that's why I'm so thankful that Andrew just led us in the song, Jesus is Better. And we sang over and over again, Jesus is Better, so that when we find ourselves like Job, we will say, I have Jesus and that is enough for me. We also just sang, he leadeth me. I love that old hymn. And did you hear the lyric that said, content whatever lot I see, since it's God's own hand that leadeth me. Charles Spurgeon once wrote, God is too good to be unkind, and God is too wise to be mistaken. He has not messed up with your life. You may admit you've messed up, but God has not. 
God has not messed up with Job's life. And chapters one and two give us that anchor of assurance. He is too wise to be mistaken. Listen to this. And when we cannot see God's hand, we must trust his heart. When we cannot see God's hand, we must trust his heart. That is what Job is showing here when he says, though he slay me, I will hope in him. This will be my salvation. Without God, you don't get saved. Think about that. This will be my salvation. He's the only savior. This will be my salvation. God's the only answer. I know it's popular and common these days for people to give up and walk away from God, but let's be honest here. They don't know where they're going. That's what Job says. This will be my salvation. The godless shall not come before him. Even if life has thrown a wrench at us and we have questions like Job does, God is still the answer. In 2 Chronicles 20, 12, Jehoshaphat prays this prayer when surrounded by armies and looking like they are about to lose it all and be under attack. Jehoshaphat prayed, 2 Chronicles 20, 12, God, we do not know what to do but our eyes are on you. You ever heard that prayer before? God, we do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. May we learn this lesson from Job and his friends. That just trying to help and just trying to fix people is a good thing and you mean well, but it will often do more damage. May we be quicker to pray, slower to speak. May we be more in tune in our faith with what God could be doing. May we have legitimate answers here. And may we learn to say to people, seek the Lord, trust the Lord, trust his heart, know what he's doing, figure out what he's doing. Be at peace with knowing you may not know what he's doing. Trust the Lord. This is just the first cycle. We have two others. But Job's good friends are not helping him. May we learn a lot about friendship with this. In closing, may we be reminded that whatever, whatever suffering we are in, or whatever suffering our friends are in, that it is the best advice at all to say, Jesus suffered too when he suffered for you. Jesus suffered too when he suffered for you. And when you trust him, you have assurance of eternal life in heaven. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for Job's interaction with his friends. And we thank you, God, for the rock-solid salvation that Job has in saying he will not 
stop trusting. Father, may we learn the lesson of friendship here. May you use us to be helpful to people. Father, we pray that Job would keep shaping our understanding of suffering. Thank you for your word this morning. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. We're gonna sing a closing song now in a time of response, and then after that, we'll take the Lord's Supper. If you're here today and you're ready to trust in Christ, you wanna go public, you wanna move toward baptism, perhaps seeing Noah baptized today has inspired you to say, I need to make that commitment, I need to go public with it. Maybe you're here today and you're thinking, I'm the person who's always trying to fix everybody. And very rarely do I bring in the goodness and sovereignty of God. Would you change the type of friend you are today? Would you ask God to make you a faithful friend? As we sing this song, let's respond. There's a quiet place